Good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, um, please open them up. We're going to do a little Bible study this morning. So we're going to look at a lot of different passages in Old Testament and New, and um, it'd be good to just uh, look at this as we go. So um, our, we're finishing up 2 Peter today, and we're in chapter 3 and finishing up the verses 10 through 18. And so I want to begin by reading the first part of this, um, and then I'm going to pause and we'll get to the rest of it at the end. So in verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, we read, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In this letter, up to this point, Paul, sorry, Peter has been writing about the coming of the Lord. And he wrote that in the last days, scoffers will come. They will arise and they will ask, where is the promise of his coming? And they would be like the scoffers in Noah's day who mocked Noah with taunts. The Lord warned Noah that, he was going to that the Lord was going to destroy the earth with a flood and that Noah was to build an ark and that would uh, be the saving of the animals as well as Noah and his family. And I can just imagine in Noah's day, because this went on for decades as he built the ark, I can imagine people coming to Noah of, of his day with their taunts. Hey, Noah, when's the rain coming? Hey, Noah, what's the flood? Okay, You can just imagine them mocking him with their taunts day after day. And they probably laughed at him and scorned his faith in the, in the Lord, just as mockers do today, as they scorn us for believing uh, in the Lord. The fact that the Lord has not yet returned actually demonstrates his patience, his long-suffering. In, in 2 Peter 3.9, we read, he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is why the Lord hasn't come back yet. And that's the only reason the Lord has not come back yet, is because He is waiting for people who still have not trusted Him to turn to Him and believe the gospel. And when the last person... Uh, that he knows who will come to him, comes to him by faith, he will not delay. 
He, as the song says, he will come and tarry not. But the Lord's patience, the Lord's long-suffering, the Lord's delay should never be construed as a lack of resolve. He will come again. And when he comes, he will judge the earth um, and the mockers. And just as the worldwide flood once destroyed the earth and only eight people survived, so the heavens and the earth are now awaiting judgment by fire. The day of the Lord is about to begin. In 2 Peter 3:10 through 13, Peter reminds us of the warnings um, of that fiery judgment that is spoken about by the prophets in the Old Testament. It's spoken about not only by the Old Testament prophets, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and by the New Testament writers um, and, and the apostles. The warnings have been issued, just like they were issued in Noah's day. Noah warned his generation, and so we as believers must warn our generation that the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord will come, and it will come as a thief in the night. So what is the day of the Lord? It's a very specific term in the scriptures, and as I say, it's found in the Old and the New Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, you find that phrase or, or related to it. Uh, over 75 times. It's an important phrase to know and to understand. First of all, the word day does not refer to 24 hours. Now, in creation, when the Lord talked about on the first day he created this and on the second day he created that, we are talking about 24-hour periods. But when we talk about the day of the Lord, it's not. It's, it's an event or, or a series of events lasting at least a thousand and seven years. And I'm going to explain myself in a minute. The Old Testament prophets were the first ones to issue warnings about the day of the Lord. And the warnings are often accompanied by a scathing rebuke against the people um, of their day who trust in their silver, who trust in their gold, who trust in their possessions, who trust in military might, and those who worship idols. There's usually a call for repentance. Repent of your sins. Turn to God and trust in Him, and God will forgive your sins. And that message really still goes out today. The day of the Lord is about to take place, and the message for us today to sinners is repent of your sins. Trust in the Lord for salvation, and he will deliver you from that great and fearsome day. What is the day of the Lord? Not a 24-hour period. So references to the day of the Lord, as I mentioned, are found more than 70 times, 75 times in the Old Testament, and they always speak of severe judgments of God over an extended period of time. Um, the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the nation of Israel. The wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the Gentile nation. The wrath of God is going to be poured out upon sinners who refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It says in the scripture, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that the gospel is a command to be obeyed? When, when, we, when we preach it and we say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's actually a command. The Lord is commanding sinners to believe the gospel. And when they refuse to, there is no other alternative but judgment. So the wrath of God will be poured out upon the heavens and the earth, and the wrath of God is unlike anything this world has ever seen. Isaiah is the first prophet to warn about the day of the Lord. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2, and um, we're just going to look at a few verses selectively, but you could write these passages down and you could study them later because you could go through the whole passage and see much more detail than I'm giving today. In Isaiah chapter 2, there's a sober warning of judgment against Israel because they followed false prophets, trusted in silver, gold, and treasures, and felt secure by their military might. So if we go to Isaiah chapter 2, let me get there. Chapter 2, verse 2, now it came to pass in latter, it, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted. And he talks about how many of the nations will come to that. That's actually talking about the end of the tribulation period and the millennial period. So if you go down to uh, verses, um, chapter, same chapter, verse 5, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there's no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, which their own fingers have made. People bow down and each man humbles himself. Therefore, it says, do not forgive them. The idea here is that they're, they have all these idols, silver, gold, military might, treasures, um, the works of their own hand, the idols that they've made. Later on, we'll t it talks about how they worship the stars, the sky, the, the, the uh, bodies in heaven. And uh, they have corrupted themselves and gone after false gods. And so... Because of this, the day of the Lord will come against them, and the Lord will come to punish or to judge them. They're haughty, they're proud, and the Lord will bring them low. The terror of the Lord will humble them. Look at verses um, 10 and 11. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust. So the Lord's uh, judgment will be so fierce that people will fear. They will not feel safe in their own homes. They will not feel safe out in the field. They will not feel safe in a safe house. They will literally try to hide themselves in the cleft of the rock and uh, because of the terror of the Lord. Then it says, verse 12, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon 
shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. The Lord is coming, and His judgment is with Him. The Lord will abolish idolatry. If you look down to verse um, 18, but the idols He shall utterly abolish. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. Again, verse 21 at the end, for the ter- from the, they're hiding from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty when He arises to shake the earth mightily. Someone mentioned this morning about the earthquakes that have... Um, are striking the earth right, left, and center. The earth is beginning to shake. These are the birth pangs of what is to come. But during the day of the Lord, the earth will shake mightily in such a way that uh, it's never been shaken before. Amos was another prophet who warned about the day of the Lord. He prophesied that there will be wailing. During this period of time, there will be wailing in all the streets, the highways, the farmlands, and the vineyards, for the Lord is coming to judge the world. So if you just write this down for later reference, um, Amos chapter 5. And this is what he says in verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into a house and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? And the, the, the illustration there is that no matter how people try to escape the judgment of God, no matter where they go to run from his presence, they can't. And every attempt they make, it's only worse. Zephaniah speaks of the day of the Lord as a day of wrath. And if we turn to Zephaniah chapter 1 and begin in verses 2 and 3, I want to show you something here. It says in verse 2, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. And I want you to pay special attention to the order of this judgment because it is the reverse order of creation. If you look at the days of creation and what the Lord created on certain days, this is actually the reverse order. It's like the Lord is literally taking his creation apart piece by piece. So this is the reverse order. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. Verses 4 through 13 reference judgments. Just as the judgments in Egypt were against the gods of Egypt, so God will destroy the gods of this world and those who worship them. From the young to the old, from the princes to paupers, all will be punished for rejecting God. Riches will be worthless, and the economy will be shattered. 
I've often said that, you know, I, we live in a make-believe world. We think that money is something of value. It's pieces of paper with numbers on it. And, we, and people rob and steal and, and kill for pieces of paper with numbers on them. And you say, oh, I have a bank account, and look at the numbers I have in my bank account. Yeah, they're numbers on a computer screen. That's what it is. We think that it's a value. And you say, well, it's tied to you know, gold. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's worthless. And we think that it has value. It's only because everybody is playing the same pretend game that this is worth something. It's not. The only thing that is worth something is, the, is your soul. And you pursue money, you pursue riches, you pursue treasures. But the thing that is of value to God is your soul. He sent his son to the cross to pay for your sins so that he might gain your soul and that you might have a relationship with him. And this, these people were filled with riches and they will be worthless and the economy will be shattered. Then he talks about how their houses will be a desolation. We call it real estate. <laughs> it's not real. It can be taken away in a heartbeat. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. Why? Verse 14, because the great day of the Lord is near, it is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. It's horrifying to read these words. It's horrifying to see what is coming upon the earth. Joel also prophesies about the day of the Lord. Joel chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. In Joel chapter 2, verses 30 and 31, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. It's been prophesied over and over again in the Old Testament. Jesus spoke of it. The apostles wrote about it. The day of the Lord is coming. The question for you is, are you saved and are you ready to meet the Lord? Some of you here this morning may not know the Lord. Some of you who listened to this message years later may not know the Lord. The Longs told me this morning that they were listening to a sermon on the way up here this, uh, that I gave 
over two decades ago. So if somebody is listening even 20 years from now, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? Are you ready to meet your God? In Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says this, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord is still offering in this day. This is not the day of the Lord. He is offering in this day, the day of grace, salvation to all who call upon his name. Trust him while it is still day. What is the timing of the day of the Lord? How long is it? So we're going to look at a slide. You've probably seen something like this before, but I want to show you just how it fits into the uh, prophetic picture here. So if we were to study every single passage uh, referencing the day of the Lord, uh, there are several things that we see. First of all, the beginning of it, it, it begins suddenly and unexpectedly. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 3, it says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. In the passage we read this morning, 1 Peter 3.10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So if you're ready and you know in advance that your house is going to be robbed, won't you be watching? Won't you be waiting? Won't you have the police there? Won't you have some kind of security going on? Of course you will. But people are so ignorant of the things of God that they're just not expecting it. In fact, they're mocking it. They're mocking. Uh, we, we are now in the middle of Pride Week, and people are glorying in their pride, which is against God. They're, they're not thinking about God and his judgment. They've borrowed the rainbow flag, which was representative of God's mercy in, in uh, Noah's day, where God put his rainbow in the sky as a sign that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. Do you know that the word bow in there in the scripture actually means that it's a warrior's bow? You've seen the shape of a rainbow? It's upside down. A bow in an arrow. God shot his arrow to the earth and created a flood over the whole earth and destroyed the whole world. And after it was over, he hung his bow just like a warrior would hang his bow on a hook in his house upside down. God hung his bow upside down as a sign that the battle was over as far as judgment by a flood. But the judgment of fire is still to come. The only way it can be sudden and unexpected is if it starts immediately, and it will start immediately after the rapture. Okay? So the rapture is sudden. The rapture is unexpected, except for believers who are waiting and watching for it. So the Lord may come today. And if he comes today, we're taken home to be with him in heaven. But the world isn't waiting and watching for the rapture. They're not waiting and watching for the Lord's coming to the sky. 
So the second point is that it not only includes the, um, the beginning, that it's sudden and unexpected, it includes the seven-year tribulation period. And we will see in our upcoming study in the book of Revelation how all of that fits together uh, in God's plan. And so some of the prophecies you see in the Old Testament talk about a horrible, horrible time on the earth that, that coincide with what we read in um, Matthew 24 and the book of Revelation. And so we're going to look at all of that in the upcoming weeks, Lord willing. So it also includes the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. So we've taught this before. The Lord's second coming is in several parts. He first of all comes to the air and, and believers rise up to meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then we're there on earth, uh, no, we're not on earth, on earth during that period of time there's a terrible uh, tribulation period for seven years. The first half called the tribulation, the second half called the great tribulation where there's unprecedented horror as judgment after judgment after judgment is poured out upon the earth. And then the Lord comes a second time, this time to the earth as reigning king. And he will come and he will destroy his enemies. He will judge the nations. He will restore Israel as a nation. And he will set up his rightful rule in Jerusalem. And he will be recognized finally as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. And so it includes his second coming to the earth and setting up his kingdom. And then it includes, of course, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, which we know as the millennium. Joel's prophecy is quoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. This period of time includes the revolt after the thousand years, Satan will be unbound from his thousand-year bondage, and he will again try to persuade people to turn against God. It'll be a short-lived um, revolt, and Satan will be crushed and defeated. During this end of the uh, thousand years, there will be a great white throne judgment, and it includes what Peter writes here in our study this morning. This is where this part of 2 Peter fits, verses 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That's the beginning. That's simultaneous with the rapture. And it extends all the way to the end of the um, millennium. And the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
So Peter gives the starting point, like a thief in the night, and provides the ending point. The heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so this indicates to us, and we show it on the chart, that the day of the Lord includes the seven years, so that's seven years, it'll take seven years, plus the thousand is a thousand and seven years. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What happens to the church? What happens to Christians uh, during the day of the Lord? Well, I want to give you some comfort this morning, dear believer. The church does not face the day of the Lord because the Bible says, not what I think, not what others say, it's because the Bible tells us this. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day, and the context of this passage is the day of the Lord, so that this day, the day of the Lord, should overtake you as a thief. You will not be overtaken when he comes as a thief in the night. For God did not appoint us to wrath. It is a day of wrath, and he has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, and 9. And so, believers, I want you to just be comforted because we are told to use these words to comfort one another. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those believers who have fallen asleep or who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, that is, those who have died. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we're, it's very clear what Paul is writing about here. There is a time when Jesus comes, this is the per, first part of his second advent, when he meets believers in the air, we rise to meet him. And in 2 Peter 3.13, Peter also writes the same thing. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, man, plant your feet on the promises of God, believers. According to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The day of the Lord is coming. Believers will not be here during the day of the Lord. So how should we respond to this teaching on the day of the Lord? Well, first of all, in my audience, I have saved and unsaved. If you have never trusted the Lord, repent of your sins. Call on the name of the Lord to be saved. That's that's the message to you. That's the only message you have to hear in this. 
Judgment is coming. It is a severe judgment, and it is an eternal judgment for those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, repent and call in the name of the Lord to be saved. If you're a believer, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the day of the Lord? Mm, I'm looking for the rapture. <laughs> I'm looking for the Lord to come and take me home to be with him. Right after that, the day of the Lord, right? Comfort one another with these words. You know, some of our, uh, years ago, we had a group of Romanian believers that met with us, and they, uh, they met uh, week after week, and they had their own service, but often when we would finish a conversation with them, they would use a word as, a, as an ending to their conversation, and they would say, Maranatha. Do you remember that? Maranatha. Maranatha means, O Lord, come. It means the Lord is coming, and he is coming to take us home to be with him. I tell you, in this troubled world, with all that's going on, and all the evil surrounding us, that is a comforting hope and assurance. Oh, Lord, come. Maranatha. We ought to use that phrase more often. A brother from uh, uh, um, the Middle East called me the other day, and uh, he ended the conversation, Maranatha, and I, I was taken back. I hadn't heard that in such a long time. The Lord is coming. 2 Peter 3.11 tells us that in, in response to this teaching on the day of the Lord, that we must live in holy conduct and godliness. And so holy, living a holy life is, is really, it's very simple. You turn from sin and you turn to righteousness. You see sin in your life, you keep short accounts with God. You say, Lord, I have sinned. Please forgive me. And we know from the scripture that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we should keep short accounts with the Lord. To live a godly life is to recognize that everything in this world has already been set apart by God for destruction. There is nothing that we possess as far as physical things, material things, that will not be destroyed. We think there's value. I've already said that. There is no value ultimately to these things. These things will be consumed in the fire of God. Would you buy a piece of property the day before the flood? What would be the point? Would you spend money and put, invest it in the stock market the day before the flood? What would be the point? Okay. Judgment is coming, this time by fire. Live for eternity, not for the here and now. Then it says in 2 Peter 3.12 that we are to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Hastening the day of the Lord? How can we hasten the day of the Lord? Doesn't the Lord have a program already assigned to specific dates and times and events? Yes, he does. How can we hasten it? 
Well, hastening the coming day of the Lord is that we should, number one, pray. And what are we to pray that would hasten the coming of the Lord? It's found in Revelation. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He tells us to pray that. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And then witnessing to unsaved people, because the final stragglers have still not come in, preach the gospel that they might come in and that the Lord might come and take us home to be with him. Then it says, we are to look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If our new home is where righteousness dwells, then let's grow in righteous behavior now. Righteousness will be the rule of day then. It ought to be the rule of, of the day now in our own lives. 2 Peter 3.14 says, Be diligent to be found in him, sorry, found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. Some of you may have conflicts in your life. You have conflicts with other believers, perhaps. Resolve it. Take action to resolve that. Be at peace with all men. As much as possible, be at peace with all men. Live so that no one can accuse you of wrongdoing. Be blameless before the Lord. That person you think about all the time that you wish you had a right relationship with them because of something you've said, something you've done, resolve it. Be at peace. We are also to consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, uh, 2 Peter 3.15. Remember that, the, that every day the Lord waits to return is because he longs for men to repent and turn to him. First of all, aren't you glad he waited for you? I'm glad for the Lord's patience. I'm glad for his long-suffering that he waited for me. But there are others out there that he's waiting for. Reach out. Share the gospel. 2 Peter 3.15, it says, Be on guard against untaught and unstable people who twist Paul's writings to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Don't be troubled or confused by things that you hear um, as people twist the scriptures. Dig into the Bible yourself. Study the scriptures that you might be a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you know what to look out for. It says in 3.17, don't fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Don't allow the wicked to influence you. Don't let your mind deceive you into thinking that the Lord's delay is somehow an opportunity to carry on sinning. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then finally, he ends with saying this, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Jesus is coming again. The day of the Lord is at hand. Live in light of that, knowing that all of these things will be consumed in his final judgment. We just pray and um, 
ask the Lord's blessing, and then we have a final uh, hymn as well. Lord, it is a terrifying thing to think of what is about to come upon the face of the earth. Lord, the weapons of man are nothing compared to the judgments of God. And we cry out to you, Lord, that you might come quickly, that you might save your people, deliver us from what is to come as you have promised. But Lord, we also pray for loved ones, family members, friends, co-workers who still don't know you and still are just waiting on the sidelines. Lord, draw their hearts to yourself that sinners might be saved and that, Lord, your program might continue uh, to bring about your righteous rule um, on the earth where righteousness reigns. We just pray, O oh Lord, for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.